Hey, in this episode of Rethinking Youth Ministry, we are talking about self-harm. So if you have people around you, maybe kids or teenagers who you do not want to hear about this subject right now, then go ahead and put on your headphones now. Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers, and having real, honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm CJ, and this week I'm joined by Crystal Chang. Hey there. Ashley Bohentz. Hi, friends. And Kayla Lynn. Hey. Now, Kayla is a counselor here in the Atlanta area who specializes in working with clients, mainly students and teenagers, who are suffering with trauma, depression, suicidal ideation, anxiety, identity, grief loss and self-worth. And Kayla is also my sister. So we are so excited for you to join us today. Uh, We're so excited for what you're going to bring to this conversation. So uh, today on Rethinking Youth Ministry, we're tackling a heavy topic, and we're actually talking about self-harm, which is why we're bringing in Kayla uh, to discuss this with us. And specifically, we're talking about what to do when a student self-harms. So what you, the the youth leader, the student pastor should do, uh, what your small group leader should do, what you should tell parents. But before we get to that, I think right here at the top of the episode, um, I think it's important for us to define what self-harm is and debunk some of the the myths surrounding it. Because when you say self-harm, we all have some things that come to mind and the ways it's done and, and all of that kind of a thing. We have what we've seen maybe in movies or on you know TV shows or 13 Reasons, whatever. And so just kind of walking through some of those myths and just kind of getting a baseline for what this is. So Kayla, can you explain what self-harm is? Yes. Exactly. So self-harm um, is typically known as a coping strategy for intense emotions that students just don't know how to deal with. And adults deal with these too, but it's mainly um, seen in teenagers just because mm. that's when uh, we kind of realize that real life is hard mm. and um, we're not really sure how to deal with that yet. And maybe our parents haven't shown us how they deal with their intense emotions because they don't know how either or they've mm. hidden how they do that. Um, so typically... Or they're just using other methods, Exactly. Yeah. Or they're Um, experiencing emotions they never have before. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, And then they feel like they're not related to or they feel alone in that. So when they feel alone, they isolate themselves. Mm -hmm. And then that's when the idea of maybe if I just do this, that this feeling would go away or I wouldn't have to feel this emotionally intense if I feel physical pain instead. It's a distraction. Um, But it could also be seen as um, a punishment. So a lot of times they'll try to punish themselves because they got a bad grade that day Mm -hmm. or they felt bad about themselves. And this is the way that they know how to do it. Um, And it also could be seen as a method of communicating, like I'm hurting so badly, I don't know how to express it. So this is the way I'm going to try to. So it's a coping mechanism. It's a, what else did you say? It's a a way to process grief. It's Mm -hmm. a punishment. It's all of these things that self-harm is their outlet for, for those things they're facing. Yeah, exactly. It could be a variety of different reasons, but mostly it's seen as a coping mechanism. So before we get too much further, you know, we're going to, we are going to talk about what student pastors should do, what small group leaders should do, all of that kind of a thing. But before we get to that, I have a list of truth or myth questions. And this is just what I came up with off the top of my head. When I think of self-harm, these are the things that I assume. Mm -hmm. And I want to find out from you um, and from your background, from your experience, if these are truth or myths. Mm -hmm. So the first one is And Crystal, Ashley, feel free to jump in with your experience to leading ministries, leading students. Ashley is a health teacher. Um, So teenagers are cutting and self-harming for attention. Truth Mm -hmm. or myth? 
So, I mean, we already kind of said that's this is, could be a form of communication for them. They don't know how else to seek help. They don't know how else to communicate their feelings. So it could be seen as a way of communicating their emotions. But most of the time, they try to hide it because they do feel shame that they don't know how else to deal with these emotions. So they're trying to process their emotions, but they're trying to, a lot of them are hiding it because they're ashamed. So it's not true. So that's a myth that they're self-harming just for attention. Exactly, yeah. Um, so let's see here. The next one. So cutting on the wrist is the only way students are harming themselves. Truth or myth? Uh, no, definitely not. Um, so you can harm yourself in multiple different areas. Some some students will choose the cutting route just because some of it's habitual. Sometimes they see there is a release in seeing um, blood come out and that kind of thing, um, which is obviously very graphic but so real. Mm. Um, and... Uh, and other ways that they can hurt themselves is they can pinch themselves, they can burn themselves. A lot of times, especially when um, cigarettes were more of a thing, they would use the cigarette butt to, mm. to burn the edges of themselves. Uh, okay. Ashley, do you want to ask the next uh, couple of truth or myths here? Yeah, sure. So, Kayla, truth or myth, uh, eating disorders are a form of self-harm? So that's that's a d difficult one just because eating disorders are so specialized and they're so complex that it can definitely be seen as a, a form of self-harm just because they could feel guilty um, about what they ate that day or like what mm. they did that day. So they don't think that they deserve to eat or think that they can mm. eat. But um, I think the big thing that I wanted to say about eating disorders is they are the most deadly mental illness just because mm. of how severe and um, controlling that they can get, um, that they take it so far to the amount where their organs will eventually shut down or they'll right. get sick from something. Mm. But eating disorders um, are definitely such a complex issue that it could be seen as a form of self-harm, but mm. it's definitely not always that way just because eating disorders come out of anxiety, depression, all those kinds of things, which are similar to self reasons for self-harm so basically though you're saying like an eating disorder is not necessarily a form of coping with something it's in a kind of a different category then it so eating disorders can be coping because they're trying to control their anxiety or depression or any of the outcomes mm -hmm. that they're uh, dealing with and a lot of it comes out of wanting to be perfect or trying to control something that they can't so that's what they do is they'll start doing they know that they control what they put in their mouths or what they do with their bodies because that's their right so it's kind of an in-between yeah i would definitely say it's just super complex it is an in-between mm -hmm. and eating disorders are definitely something that people need help with and that is hard to see so kayla hearing you answer that about eating disorders would it be safe to say that we should maybe be paying attention to eating disorders maybe even more than cutting yeah, for sure. Just because eating disorders are so lethal um, and become so controlling of somebody's life wow. that mm. it, it can take a major toll on the student. So, Kayla, do you primarily see self-harm as a female issue? Definitely not. The stereotype is that females mm -hmm. can't control their emotions. They are uh, more unstable. And so then they cut, which... You know, it, it is very common with females, but at the same time, men struggle with the same things too. And I've seen in my clinical experience of men cutting too, they do sometimes cut in different ways in that I've seen men um, or really uh, male teenagers cut on their shoulders just because that they have different clothing to cover up so that they mm -hmm. don't have to show that to somebody else. So what percent do you think, I know uh, kind of uh, just a side bit here, what percent do you think 
uh, are men, men and what percent are female that are engaging in self-harm? Any idea? So I, I actually don't have one just because, um, and this is my personal experience. I am a little bit jaded with research and percentages, but because it's so hidden and there's so much mm. shame around it, I don't think that there is ever going to be an accurate number. And I'm sure somebody else could come up against me and say, no, it's this percentage or this percentage. But yeah. the, the real thing is that this is a problem and a lot of students are dealing with it. So we just need to be aware and be ready for when we're exposed to it in our ministries. That's good. I'm cool. so glad you said that because I feel like I always hear that this is a female issue or a, a teenage girl issue. But as I'm leading teenage girls, they're always coming to me saying, what do I do? Because my male friend is cutting. Mm-hmm. And I think boys often are just a little bit less likely to talk about it mm-hmm. or to share that with somebody. Um, or they're sharing it with female friends, but not parents or adult leaders. Mm-hmm. That's good. So yeah. Kayla, we have just a few more truth or myth questions. Just like, again, just lay this foundation of exactly what we're facing here. Crystal, do you want to bring, bring those up? Yep. I've got a couple truth or myth. Self-harm is a sign that a student is suicidal. That is definitely a myth. Um, so th- these things can come hand in hand. Just Which like, is so crazy because yeah. that's just like not what you expect. Yeah, for sure. So typically self-harm is a way of coping with that intense emotion because they don't know how else to do that. Suicide is I don't have hope. I feel stuck and I can't get out. And the only way that I know mm-hmm. how to get out of the situation is if I hurt myself and end this. Um, wow. So that, those are the main differences that I would say. Yes, they can go hand in hand. Just like if, if we're sick and have a low immune immune system. We can have multiple things going on. We can have an ear infection and strep throat, but that does not mean that one... They're connected. Exactly. Hmm. Um, so those That's are really just surprising. Exactly. So because with mental illness and you know difficulty expressing emotions, a lot of times because they don't know how to express their emotions, they can feel stuck. And that's when both of those can go hand in hand, but hmm. typically cutting is not lethal in that um, it's, I'm pretty sure that with the technical statistic if we want to mm-hmm. start bringing statistics in is that it's 0.01% that that uh, are self-harming and suicide no, 0.01% that a student is going to kill themselves over cutting okay um, that cutting is going to lead to that exactly okay, just yeah, because yeah. when when students cut they're trying to hide it and they know that it's going to be that this isn't the end so typically they don't cut in the most lethal areas like they'll they'll cut on their legs they'll cut on their shoulders where where our anatomy isn't going to fail us. Wow. <laughs> that that is, is fascinating. That is, wow. So speaking of mental illness, you mentioned it, truth or myth, self-harm is a sign of mental illness. So that's a tricky one because self-harm um, is a symptom of a mental illness, but that does not mean that they fit that whole category of the mental illness. Um, so that just because somebody's cutting does not mean that they're going to fit the whole diagnosis of depression. Although that they may feel depressed, maybe the severity and intensity isn't to the point where they will fit um, what we call the diagnostic criteria. So we have a manual that um, we have to check all these boxes to see if they fit the whole criteria. And just because they self-harm does not mean that they're going to automatically fit the rest of them. So you brought up depression. Is self-harm always associated with students who have depression or are there not depressed students or undepressed is undepressed? (laughs) Undepressed. I'm depressed trying to come up with a word. (laughs) Are there students not suffering from depression who still self-harm? For sure. Um, Just because... 
a lot of students with severe anxiety will self-harm. Once again, we talked about how this is a coping skill. It's not just a coping skill for depression or having a bad day. It's a coping skill for anxiety as well, um, which is a big one, or really any intense emotions. A lot of students with intense emotions, whether it's anger or sadness or fear, um, will resort to self-harm because that's how they know how to deal with it. Um, and then another big thing that I would like to add to it is a lot of students will self-harm can be impulsive in other areas of their mm. lives too, which is where that you makes can... makes sense. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of that? So some students who self-harm may be more apt to do drugs or drink alcohol or fall into peer gotcha. pressure just because the struggle is already, I can't, I don't know what to do with this emotion. I don't know what to do with this pressure. So I'm going to do this. Whereas other students might have a little bit more time in between. I feel this intense emotion. So I'm going to do this. They have more of that thought process in order hmm. to choose something that might be healthier for them. I got you. Keila, truth or myth, um, self-harm is a learned behavior. Ooh, um, so that's tricky. We didn't have that one on the I prep know. sheet. We're just coming okay. up with them as... Well, I know <laughs> yeah. that. Because we like the conversation that happens. Yeah. So this is how I think. Because a lot of people are like, oh, self-harm is a resort of media. Or, right. you know, kind of all students yeah. are talking about it. Honestly... Or, the, yeah, the, it's the 13 reasons thing. Exactly, yeah. So I do agree somewhat. And once again, this is all uh, my opinion and my clinical experience. So I'm open for other... Um, counselors to disagree with me but what I have seen is that when we get upset we are desperate and what the first thing comes to mind is typically something that we've heard most recently which is why that idea can come up so quickly and mm -hmm. why um, I think we've seen a rise in that mm -hmm. because before that wasn't as common right um, so it's not the first thing that comes to mind maybe before the first thing would come to mind would be smoking a cigarette or would be mm -hmm. drinking or would be going to exercise exercise or talk to somebody, but because I don't think that idea is as readily available in our mind, that's why there is that increase in what we've seen in self-harm. Which brings up attention, right? Because if it's the most recent thing that they've heard of, talking about it with students makes it tricky, right? <laughs> yes and no, um, because I think the difference is we're talking about it differently, and we're saying mm. this isn't the only way to deal with your emotions. So when they have that readily available in their minds, they might think twice versus feeling stuck with That's it. That's good. Wow. That's helpful, because I was wondering, are we doing students a disservice if we talk about it at church, from the stage, in our small groups? Is that okay? My, my go-to answer would be, yes, we should do that. But yeah. I also don't want to be the one who plants the first seed. <laughs> right, right. No, de I definitely think it's okay because, once again, we talked about how shame is so wrapped up in, in self-harm and they don't want to do it and they feel like they're the only ones, which isn't true. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about it on stage, we're making it so that there you can talk about this and not feel bad about yourself. You can talk about this and there are other solutions. You can talk about this and we will figure this out together. Um, and that way they feel, number one, less alone. Number two, there's something else that they can do. There's hope. And that's what I think what's great about youth ministry is you can bring hope to the stage. Wow, that was a ton of great information. Thanks, thanks for answering all these questions that we're throwing, throwing out at you. And, you know, I think it was great to start there, though, because the first step in having this conversation is really just understanding what we're talking about and what we're dealing with here. But if you're a student pastor, Crystal, uh, Ashley, if, as, if you're a student pastor, what's the tension you're feeling uh, around this topic? As we get into, okay, now we understand it, now what do we do about it? 
why is this such a difficult thing for youth leaders to talk about? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is not every kid is dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And I think we all feel this tension of if I bring it up, am I going to cause their minds to go somewhere? It's the same tension we feel for suicide, Mm -hmm. for pornography, for anything else. If I bring it up, am I the one who's going to trigger that for them? Right. Um, And then the other tension is just if if a kid is dealing with something so shame inducing is the stage the best place to address that yeah or does it feel like we're singling out kids who are struggling i think another tension student pastors are probably feeling is uh not understanding enough about the topic to feel comfortable to talk about Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and knowing that self-harm even though that's the common denominator of what we're talking about the reason behind why they're doing it is always different which can be very intimidating for a student pastor to engage Mm -hmm. in a conversation Mm -hmm. about that especially if they don't do it that often you know Mm -hmm. the the newer you are to this field and when you haven't had those conversations it's hard to know how to react how strong should you react Mm -hmm. how like casual should you react? How do you train somebody else to do this when you don't even know how to do this? Mm -hmm. And how soon do you train somebody? And really how great can you be at it if you haven't ever had that conversation? Mm, That's Mm -hmm. great. That's, that's good. So in your experience, how have you faced this or dealt with this? Or have you seen this issue in your students that you've led as you've led ministries or led small groups? Have you faced this? Well, I've never led a small group where this wasn't an issue. True. Mm. In the last 15 years, I've never had a single small group where I didn't have one cutter. And usually it's multiple. Mm. And Mm -hmm. in in addition, I probably would say I've also never had a classroom where this didn't come up, male or female. At some point, there's a student who admits to this. Mm. So, Crystal, I'm just going to poke. So how, how did you how do you approach this with the girls that you are leading? Or have you been able to navigate this? And what does that look like? Well, I think, I think there were, there are a few different scenarios. One is when you have a student say, I am doing this currently. Mm -hmm. And then I think the first step for me has always been, thank you for telling me Mm -hmm. before I freak out, before I tell you what's going to happen next. Thank you for telling me because it takes just a ton of trust for a kid to admit something that can be wrapped in shame to a leader. And the next thing is, I think that's what you just said is so important. I don't want our listeners to miss that Mm -hmm. is before reacting or asking the question why, or what's Mm -hmm. going on, affirming how brave they are and courageous they are to even bring it up. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly with girls, it's usually a thank you for telling me. And I'm so proud of you, Mm -hmm. which kind of diffuses the shame at the beginning. So courageous, you know, it's a huge deal. And then we talk about what's going to happen next, because while this is a spiritual environment and certainly part of this is a spiritual issue, it's not all spiritual. And there are some very real, practical, um, not church steps that may need to be taken as far as having a conversation with their parents or getting some professional help. And that's when a student tells me they're doing something that harms themselves. That's one of those issues that can never stay with me. Yeah. as yep. a small group leader. So I usually loop in the church staff um, if it's a church conversation, and then we move to parents and encouraging them to find professional help in the classroom. That's a different issue because there are some legalities that are always going to push mm-hmm. me to a school counselor has to know and referring them that way. But I also never make that a surprise to the student. Mm-hmm. That's always part of the conversation is these are the things that are going to happen next. I don't want you to be surprised. I will go with you to these conversations. You don't have to go there alone. 
but this is what's going to happen. Right. So before we get into specifics of how student pastors should be talking about this and small group leaders, um, Crystal just shared her experience. Ashley, what's been your experience as a ministry leader, as a a former health teacher? What have you, uh, what have you seen? What have you done uh, when it comes to students and self-harm? Yeah. You know, I echo a lot of what Crystal just said and in an effort not to repeat literally what she just shared. Um, I've had the same experience in the classroom as a ministry leader, as a small group leader, as a coach Mm -hmm. on a team. Um, And I think specifically as a middle school health teacher, I know that every health classroom around this country is required to talk about self-harm, suicide, and depression. Mm -hmm. And I know as a teacher, that would always be like a a trigger for people to talk about it way Mm -hmm. more than any other time of the Mm -hmm. year because we opened the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I had so many students who had come to me. And as Crystal said, we had to get obviously the school counselor involved. And part of that specifically, you know, when you're trying not to ruin trust with a student when they share something like that, working on getting the student to understand why you would want to get an adult involved and helping almost making them think it's their idea and that they're just coming to you to figure out how to tell an adult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that helps keep the trust intact. But I know that when I transitioned over from being a health teacher to a ministry leader, I always paid attention to the school system so that I knew when that unit in their health class was coming because I knew as a youth pastor, that meant that that was going to be heightened in every small group. Wow. And I was, I I always would notify my small group leaders and we would pay closer attention during that time. Hmm. Wow. That's great. That's so great. And particularly if you're leading middle schoolers as you were, I feel like this is almost a bigger conversation and I may be wrong about this, but with the high schoolers that I serve, I feel like less often I have the conversation about, I am an active self-harmer. And more often I have the conversation of this is what I did in middle school and now I'm super embarrassed about it. Right. Should I share that story? And I think, my goodness, how many middle schoolers are doing this? Is this part of, um, is this part of just the puberty transition and trying to figure out what to do with all these new emotions in my head? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I think that presents a unique challenge for middle school leaders Maybe even more than high school leaders. Go ahead. Yeah, I was thinking just, you know, if there's one word that I would describe middle school, it's change. And this would just support what Kayla, you shared about um, self-harm being part of like wanting to control your environment. I mean, when everything around you and in you is changing in middle school, it would make sense why this specific issue would maybe um, be on the incline. So do you see this, Kayla, popping up in middle school a lot with middle school students? What age is it like? Here's where it's like, here's the on-ramp. Is there there such a thing? Yeah. So first off, um, kind of going back to sharing with other people, I think the biggest thing when you do share is what, this is what I'll tell my students too, because if they say that they're going to hurt themselves or somebody else, every counselor is um, liable to tell somebody. Uh, That's when we can break confidentiality. And a lot of times the student's like, wait a second, wait a second. No, I I didn't mean it or I'm not doing it anymore. But the, the thing is that I tell them is if I don't tell somebody, how do you know that I'm taking you seriously? By sh- oh, That's a great point. By sharing with somebody, yeah, mm-hmm. I am taking you seriously. I believe you. I see you. And I want to help you. And I care so much for you that I'm not going to let this mm-hmm. go to chance. That's so great. Mm-hmm. That's so One great. thing I always tell my students is I give them the example of like when somebody's experiencing a physical injury versus a mental injury. Mm-hmm. Like when you see somebody in the middle of the road get hit by a car, they're laying there, they're injured. What do mm-hmm. you do as a mm-hmm. student? The student always answers, I would call for help or I would get somebody to help them. Mm -hmm. And then you try to help them understand, like when you're going through something emotional, 
it's hard to see it, mm-hmm. but the injury is still there for and it's sure. the same. So what, what you would do for a physical injury should be the same thing you would do for somebody who's emotionally injured. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would say to a youth leader, and this may be a personal soapbox of mine because I've seen it go wrong so many times, is don't say to a kid, you have X number of days to tell somebody or I will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've just seen that go badly so many times, including I, I lost a student to suicide because someone said that to them. Wow. Offer to go with them. Yep. Yeah. Go with them to tell somebody. Don't put a kid in, on a deadline where they see a ticking clock. Yeah. I think, I think that's helpful because I think it's a really great opportunity and a teaching moment to help students develop the skills and how to talk about something really hard mm-hmm. and talk about what they're struggling with. So it's actually a really unique opportunity that presents itself. So I want to get to a, a student pastor actually needs to communicate from stage. But in case anybody was listening and, say, and thinking, hey, they drove past that question, no. I wanted to ask you, Kayla, <laughs> we'll go again. Back. Um, so do you know when that on-ramp is for a student who's self-harming or like, it, is it like, hey, you know, it's, this is a huge deal in middle school or, you know, what, what, what have you seen and experienced? What is the counseling world, you know, noticing there? No, I, so I think it can be either, which I know is not the best answer for right. anybody, not what somebody's looking for. Everybody's looking for something concrete. When should I look for this? Right, right. But I definitely do think, you know, it does start a lot in middle school just because once again, we kind of talked about how real life gets. Everybody doesn't look back at middle school years thinking those were the best years of my life. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> or at least I didn't. So when if you did, then that's, that's just, I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when life gets hard and we we don't know how to cope with emotions, which is typically why we even go there in the first place. That's where you can see it a lot in middle school, but sometimes that intensity hasn't happened yet. That mm. real life reality hasn't happened yet where you can start seeing it in high school as well. So I've seen both. So it's re- the on-ramp though really is the heavy, intense emotions. The real life is starting mm-hmm. to weigh on me and I need to cope somehow. Yeah. And it's not necessarily, man, it could start with my parents are getting divorced, but it could start with, you know, identity. I don't know who I am. And that's mm-hmm. where a lot of those questions come up in middle school too. And that, that can be a really Really difficult thing for a middle school middle schooler to deal with on their own. So for the student pastor, the youth leader who's listening is like, okay, I'm bought in, I'm following, I'm tracking. Now what? What does a leader need to be communicating? Let's start with from the stage. You know, what do they need to be saying? Is it just, you know, obviously they're not going to stand up there and be like, hey, you know, you know, whatever, like we're going to get help for everybody who's dealing with this. Like, but what, what's the truth that they're trying to communicate from stage? What would you suggest, Kayla? So I I guess that's hard because it depends on whether they're wanting, I don't think that they have to do a self-harm talk in order to talk about this, just Mm -hmm. because this is just another area in our lives where we struggle. And I Mm -hmm. think that can just be included. And because um, youth ministry is so good at dealing with practical problems that students are facing anyways, I think it can be added to at the same time Mm. before even addressing that. I think it's going to be super important for any youth ministry to know, okay, what is our protocol? Who are we going to talk to? Who are we going to go to? And I do think it is helpful to have a line of counselors already that you've talked to, that you trust, that are on the same page with you, um, at least mostly theologically, so Mm -hmm. that they can help lead your students in the direction um, that they need to be led. So you could just call out self-harm from the stage, but it's also like, hey, let's just talk about it practically as another thing we're consistently struggling with when we talk about, you know, faith and hope and what Mm -hmm. we're facing. And though, 
also, this is not just a stage thing. This is a, we have a roster of counselors. We have, you know, a system, a process waiting here for, you know, because we're going to start engaging this topic. For sure. And I mean, you get to almost see it. I mean, self-harm is obviously more severe than a financial issue, but in churches we have, you know, financial support or we have seminars on those. And I just, I think that can just be included as another topic that the church can get involved with, mm-hmm. because this is a topic that is so important in, in a lot of students' lives. I like what Kayla said, that this isn't a stage first thing. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when we talk to youth workers um, and we say, hey, what could we as a company provide that's helpful? A self-harm series or a self-harm talk is always on that list. But I think before we ever get to a self-harm talk, we need to have a self-harm process as in what's going to happen to a kid when they admit this to the, to a volunteer or to a leader. And do we have a clear plan that everybody knows? Mm-hmm. Does a, do our leaders know what their job is and what their role is? I know here in Georgia, where we live, um, all church leaders are now mandated reporters, meaning if a kid tells them this, they're legally required to report that. I don't know that that's true around the country, but it wouldn't surprise me. And so I think I think our volunteers need to know when they report mm-hmm. and to whom they report. Yep. And then as a church, where's our list of people that we report to? Where's our list of counselors? How do we vet them? And how do we communicate that with families? When do we involve parents? Those are all com- conversations that we need to have. For sure. So whether or not it's from the stage or maybe it's one-on-one with a student or maybe it's a small group leader to a student or you know something like that, What's the truth that we're trying to communicate to a student? After we're like, okay, thank you for telling me. I'm so proud of you for telling me. What is the next step for that student? What are we Mm -hmm. trying to convey to that student that leads them out of this? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe even before we get to, you know, we're going to go see a counselor. You know, what what does that look like? I think it could start with you're not alone Mm. because a lot of times um, self-harm starts with I feel alone. I'm by myself. I'm the only one who struggles with these things and I have no hope to deal with it. So I think that'd be great to communicate from stage too. If you are, if you do bring it up, you're not alone in in this. For sure. I think it's a great point to make on stage because almost it seems like because we make self-harm and um, such a taboo topic that makes them feel taboo, you know, Mm. and then we wonder why, oh, why aren't they telling me? Well, it was never brought up. It wasn't wasn't ever a thing that was okay to talk about. Like we even talk about sex more on stage than we do about self harm. And although that's something that you know is super important to talk about as well, we we normalize sex so much more now than we normalize self harm, which I think can once again be included in the conversation. But as you're kind of going back, CJ, with your question of number one, say that they're not alone. Number two, this doesn't have to be this way. Like we can figure, we're going to walk through this together just like we walk through life with other people in difficult situations. I can't tell you the one solution that is going to fix this problem because I know it's so complex, because I know that there's stuff underneath this, but I'm here with you to figure this out together. Hmm. Wow. So this is such a helpful conversation already. But for the youth leader who's listening to this, like this is a lot of information and it might be overwhelming, just, you know, quite honestly, right? Yeah. It's a lot to process. So as we begin to wrap up here, I just want to bring up like, okay, what is that next step for the youth pastor who's ready to engage this conversation, who's maybe even noticed some of this going on in his or her ministry and just hasn't known how to start, you know, or where to start? 
What is the next step, Ashley, for that youth leader? Well, first I would say go back to the beginning of this podcast and listen to the first 10 minutes where Kayla was dispelling a lot of the myths because I think educating yourself about the topic is going to make you feel so much more comfortable Mm -hmm. talking about this topic with students, with parents, with small group leaders. Secondly, I would say make sure um, as a youth pastor, you're not putting yourself in the role of a professional counselor, Mm -hmm. or you're not putting that pressure on your small group leaders to be the professional counselor for your students. Um, I think that there's a huge difference between what we're responsible for and what we're responsible with. Mm -hmm. And I think in these situations, we're responsible with the kids who are in front of us and the information that's given to us and what we do with it, but we're not ultimately responsible for that kid's life. Mm -hmm. And... um, The last thing I want to say is actually something Crystal said earlier. I think the step you can take as a youth pastor is to, instead of starting from the stage talking about it, back into the issue and build a foundation where your small group leaders know exactly what it is, how to handle these kind of conversations before you ever talk about it in a way that would create a domino effect of conversations. Because if people aren't ready to have them, those kids will never open up again. Mm. That's so great. That's so great. Crystal, what would you say? What, what, what is that next step for that leader who's ready to jump in? Well, there actually was something I wanted to add, and I I feel like I'm letting the cat out of the bag a little here, so I hope that's okay. We've actually been having this conversation with Kayla for a while. Um, as Ashley said, starting from the stage is not a good idea, but there may be times in your ministry where you do talk about this from stage, particularly if there are a lot of students in your ministry that are affected. And so we've been trying to figure out what does that kind of talk even look like? Mm. Um, and we've been working with uh, with Kayla as a counselor and with local pastors on how do we talk about this sort of topic from stage. And one of the things you said, Kayla, that I thought was so helpful was just that lots of students don't talk about self-harm because this myth that kids do it for attention. Mm-hmm. And and I think even within our leaders, sometimes there's a belief that, oh, don't worry, that kid's just doing this for attention. And most of the time that isn't true. But you said, even if it's true, that's a problem. And yeah. even mm-hmm. if it's true, that's an illness. And that's something that as their ministry leader, so we good. should be addressing. And so I would say no matter where you think your kids are on the spectrum of self-harm, for any reason or self-harm for attention, I think we should be brave enough and responsible enough to talk about that. In addition to that, Crystal, if you're a youth pastor listening and you're like, I I know for a fact not a lot of my students are dealing with this. I don't know if I want to talk about it from the stage. Know this, that even if your students aren't the ones cutting or self-harming themselves, the the chances of your students being friends or relatives of someone who is doing that is so high. And so helping students understand their role when it comes to their friends who are self-harming or their family members who are self-harming, I think is extremely beneficial to their mental health. Mm -hmm. Mm, That's so great. Kayla, do you have any final thoughts for that youth leader who's ready to take that next step, trying to figure out what that looks like for him or her? Yeah, I think Ashley did really well in saying that you don't have to have all the answers in order to have this conversation. You don't have to have all the answers in order to be there for somebody. I think it's a team effort that we all need to come together as smart group leaders who can be there for them, who can check in on them and see what they're doing in counseling, see how they can hold them accountable, see what truths they can remind them during the week when a counselor can't do that. Um, So it's really cool to come together with youth ministry so that on the youth ministry side, they can 
give resources so that a student can go to counseling and that a smart reflator is equipped to learn, okay, what is our protocol? What do Mm -hmm. I need to do? What can I say in between the time of a student that discloses that they're self-harming and going to counseling? Because there is that time in between. Um, That's a big jump from a student who's just now revealing that he or she is facing this and the time they walk into a counselor's office. For sure. There's a lot of... That has to happen and a lot of guidance that they need Mm -hmm. in that moment. Yeah. And it is the counselor's job to help make a plan. But I think it's so cool when I see my clients go and talk to their smart youth leader or their youth leader to say, hey, this is what we're working on. Can you walk through this with me? Can you help remind me of this? And that's where we can all come together with our strengths. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that, Kayla. I know just listening to you, I mean, I speak for all three of us and I think I speak, Kayla, for the people listening. That's just like you have, you're bringing so much insight to the table and I think it's, it's so helpful and it's so speaks to the importance of having a network. If you're a student pastor or youth leader, having a network of people to go to mm-hmm. uh, and to lead students to if they're facing that, because I don't have all the answers. I'm a small group leader. I don't have all the answers. Crystal and Ashley don't have all the answers. The youth leaders listening don't have all the answers, but they can establish a network of people around them and around the students in their ministries to guide and lead these teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's so huge. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, and hey, just as a side note before we close, um, if you're listening to this conversation and you're like, they didn't talk about suicide at all, like we're talking about self-harm, they didn't really talk about anything about that, just stay tuned because next week we're going to dive into that issue specifically. So if you're like, they totally just drove past all of that stuff, Um, just keep listening. We're going to have that conversation another day. So again, thank you guys for joining me for this conversation. And thank you for listening to the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes uh, and leave us a review on iTunes while you're there. Your review will help us make this podcast better. And if you had a friend or a fellow student pastor, or maybe even uh, parents or your small group leaders came to mind as you were listening to this, who need to hear this information, pass along this podcast. This is a great, great resource for them. And you can forward them onto our website, rethinkingym.org. They can listen to the whole episode there, rethinkingym.org. But until next time, I'm CJ. I'm Crystal. I'm Ashley. I'm Kayla. And thank you for listening.